Good morning, everybody. If, uh, if it's your first time at South Point, welcome. We are glad you're here. If you're joining us online, thank you so much for being a part of our service. We've been walking through this series we called Uncharted because everybody's just kind of in the same boat. We've got all these questions and we're having all these conversations and all these issues keep coming up. And so today, we're going to tackle one that deals with what we call COVID fatigue. Has anyone felt that lately? Like all these different things going on, like I don't know if you've ever been at a point where you just go, I don't know if I could be any more tired. Um, I think it was 2015. I got it in my head that I wanted to join some good buddies of mine and do a mud run, if you're familiar with any of those races. And so we signed up and we did one called Tough Mudder. I didn't train at all. Should have trained. Um, the one that we did was about 11 miles. It had, I think, 12 different obstacles. And so you just run. And then there's some obstacle and challenge you got to do. And some of them really weren't that bad. It's, you know, crawling under a bunch of ropes and things like that. And then some of them were a little different. One of the challenges was called the Arctic Enema. It took everybody a minute, like, oh, that's what it said. It was an industrial-sized dumpster filled with ice water. And about mile two, you barrel into this thing. And when I got in, it is freezing. But I had so much adrenaline. I'm like, man, I got this, I got this. Well, halfway through, there's a barricade. You actually have to swim underneath it. When I went under the water, my eyes involuntarily opened, and there's a picture of me like coming out of the water just looking like an animal. And that's mile two. Later on, you get to one called trenches, and it's these probably seven to eight foot pits that they just dug out with a backhoe and filled with soupy mud. And it's meant to get other people involved because you just physically, no one can do that by themselves. And so you're grabbing people and pushing them up on top of one. People are grabbing you. Everybody's friends because there's just hands everywhere. It's like, uh-huh, okay, oh, you a copay. But it is not, not fun. And then the last one are these electric lines. And they're live. <laughs> and we get up to it, and I'm so tired. I'm like, I just want this to be over. I'll be the first one. And so I barrel off into them. First one hits me on the ground. Just, you're so tired at that point. You're electrocuted, and you're just laying on the ground like, I paid money for this. Like, what is wrong with me? And so I just started, like, crawling. And right as I'm about to get through the last one, I kind of move my arm up, and another one hits me, and I literally just put my face into the mud. And then I rolled. And I rolled over the finish line. That's how I finished it. <laughs> we got done. Whitney was there, like, I had mud in places I didn't even know I had. Um, I was so physically drained. They're like, hey, let's go eat after this. I'm like, I don't want to eat. I want to go figure out where I'm going to like, take my last breath at this point is what it feels like. I've just never been so physically tired. And there's other times you go through situations, you go, man, I just went through job searches and things like that, and I go mentally tired. And there's times where we just go, like David cried out, how long ago? And we go, man, I'm spiritually tired. Like, the last several months have just put us in a place where we are tired and we need rest. And so if we talk about it from the way that we've been doing it, everybody is looking for that. So some people it's vacation, but as believers, like as those in Christ, what does it look like for us to find rest from fatigue? Because I feel like a lot of us at this point, we're, we're kind of tired. We haven't had all the different answers that we want. Timelines have looked different. We've kind of become tired angry. And so know this, you're not alone. <laughs> a lot of times when we get to a situation, we go, man, I feel like I'm the only one walking through this or I'm the only one walking through it in this way. Know this, the Bible is the story of God's redemption plan and it's full of a bunch of tired people. 
And so look at Exodus chapter 1. It says, Now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. And he said to his people, Behold, the people of Israel are too many and too mighty for us. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply, and if war breaks out, they join our enemies and fight against us and escape from the land. Therefore they sent taskmasters over them to afflict them with heavy burdens. And they built for Pharaoh cities like Pithom and Ramses. And the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied, and the more they spread abroad. And the Egyptians were in dread of the people of Israel. So they ruthlessly made the people of Israel work as slaves and made their lives bitter with hard service in mortar and brick and in all kinds of work in the field. And in all their work, they ruthlessly made them work as slaves. So if you're familiar with some of the story of the Exodus, Joseph had gone into Egypt and he went as a slave. And he was soon elevated and he's the second most powerful man in the country. His family came and there was a restoration there. It was a beautiful story. And they ended up staying in Egypt, and they began to multiply, and they began to grow. And the Egyptians, this superpower at the time, looked and said, we've got to do something for these people, or they're going to rise up, and they're going to take over our country. So they enslaved the entire nation of Israel. And for 400 years, this was their life. Slavery, tired, hard work. There was no, I can maybe work my way out of this, or maybe I can save up enough, and maybe, maybe my kids can have a better life. These people understood tired for generations. Like a lot of times we look at it and go, well, yeah, I'm tired now, but I'm looking towards the future. These people had no future. For 400 years, they just lived as slaves. They worked hard. They made bricks out in an Egyptian sun. They worked out in Egyptian fields. They knew what it was to be tired. They knew what it was to wake up and basically feel like you're on a treadmill. Like you go to the gym, you get on a treadmill, you can run a long ways and you really haven't gone anywhere, right? And sometimes our lives start to look like that. Like if you think about your life, you have a pretty daily routine that you go through a lot of times. Like you get up, you get in the shower, you start showering. I always start with this arm for some reason. It's that much of a treadmill. You go to work, you repeat the same processes over and over. You leave work, you go home, you do some things, maybe spend some time with your family, and you go to bed, and then the next day you get up and you do it again. And for these people, the treadmill was wake up, be enslaved, work hard to exhaustion, come home, have a little food, go to bed, and repeat and repeat and repeat. This is a group of people who understood what it was to be tired. They understood it was exhausting. They understood kind of what it was to be quarantined. <laughs> They had their own little spot and they didn't get to leave it. They kind of get what we're going through right now. So they understand the Bible is a story of a lot of people who are tired. If you skip forward to the New Testament, you have the Israelites, and again, they're enslaved, this time by Rome. They pay taxes and pay taxes and go over it over and over again. And they look and their religious leaders just say, hey, just make sure your outside looks okay. But inside, their hearts were tired. The Bible is a story of people who are tired but it's about where do we go with that? Because God created us and he gives us an example that we are to have rest. Look in Genesis chapter 2. Verse 1, it says, Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all of his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. Know this, God did not rest because he was tired. 
God did not see the creation of the cosmos, of the world, of light, the sun, the heavens, and the earth, stars, fish, all of that. He didn't get done with that like we had a long day and go, whew, I need a day off. God looked at that and said, all of this is good, and then he sets up this example for us. He gives mankind an example of the structure of the life that we're going to have. It's amazing. If you look across all the cultures in the world, everybody operates on a seven-day week. And people talk about, oh, I don't believe in Christianity, I don't run with the whole God thing. But you operate on that same week that God installed himself. And there are a couple of times where people have tried to do something different. It's never worked out. Like in the French Revolution, they thought about having like a 10-day week. I don't know where they came up with that. It didn't last very long. Neither did the revolution. Like God literally gives us this structure that, hey, you're going to have seven days. Everybody gets the same amount of time in those seven days. Everybody will find different ways to fill them. But you need to know whether you have a four-day work week or if you have a six-day work week or if you've been on vacation all week. There was a day that was created where God said, you need rest. You need to remember me. You need to see the structure and the order that I've put in place, and I've put it so that it always reflects back to my glory. And so on this day that we come together and we call Sabbath and we worship together, we think back to the amazing things that God has done literally from the beginning. Like there was a time where he just began to speak things into existence. And the moon that we look at, and man, there's nights where you go, man, that is so beautiful. God created that. And these days of rest are reminders. And there's days where we look around at just the beauty of the earth that he created. Man, the trees and waves and rivers and animals. And we remember, man, God put this structure in place to give us rest. And it was also to show us our destiny. Every other day when God got done, he said, and, it, and God saw that it was good. It doesn't say that on the day of rest because it just points back to God. And he says, hey, I want you to remember your destiny. One day you're going to rest completely, but you're going to rest not in your own ability, not in your, oh, man, look what I can do, look what I've done with my life, look at how much money I have, look how beautiful my family is. No, one day you will find ultimate rest, and you will find it in me. And so for really the bulk of what I want to see this morning, that just kind of raises the question, like, how do, how do you and I find rest? Like, what does that look like for us? Because rest looks different for different people. Like, some people, you just need quiet alone time, and some people want to go on adventures. Like, rest looks different, but from a biblical standpoint, this is one that can bring all of us together. So how do we find rest? The first and the greatest thing, we find rest in Christ. Matthew chapter 11, for our prayer team. This is why I was laughing. Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. Jesus says this. He says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. He starts off, he says, Come to me. He didn't say go to a church. And I love, I love our church. I love a lot of, there's a lot of amazing churches across the globe. He, said, he didn't say, hey, come to a church. He didn't say, hey, come to a denomination. Go, go to this one or go to that one. He didn't say that. He didn't say, hey, come to morality. Like, come to be a better person. Hey, just so you're not stealing other people's stuff. He didn't say that. He didn't say, come to a doctrine. He said, come to me. Come to me. And he can say that with authority because he is God. 
Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And so when he speaks, he speaks with authority. We, we saw at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, man, that people were just blown away. They're like, man, when he talks, he talks with so much authority. And man, if you want to talk about one of the most authoritative statements in all of Scripture, come to me. And you have this beautiful Savior looking people in the eye and saying this, I have the authority. And he calls these people that are burdened. He calls people that are hurting. He looks out on the crowd. Like right now, I just look out and I see faces. I, gosh, I wish for one day I could see people like Jesus saw them. Because when he looks out on a crowd, he doesn't, just, he doesn't just see your face. He sees into your soul. He sees the things that you're hurting and you're dealing with. And he sees the pain. He sees the weariness. And he sees that soul that goes, I am tired. And he says, come to me. He looks out on a burdened humanity. And he looks out and he spoke these words 2,000 years ago and they ring true today. So as we come in here today and we bring burdens and we bring things that we say, man, this makes me tired and this makes me angry and all these different things. Jesus is looking at us in 2020 saying, come to me. Oh, you're burdened? Come to me. Oh, you're tired? Come to me and you'll find rest. And he looks, he says, come to me those that are burdened and heavy laden. Burdened and heavy laden break down like this. Burdens are the things that just kind of happen in your life. They are the things that you bring into your life that you go, man, this makes me tired. And so your job. People got to work, so we, we get a job, and your first one you go, I hope it's, <laughs> this isn't going to be like this forever. And then you kind of work your way up and get a career and things like that. But still, we, we bring that one in, and then burdens come with it. Sometimes we spend way too much time there. Sometimes we bring too much home. Sometimes we get frustrated with different things, but we bring those burdens on ourselves. And then you think about things that just you worry about. You think about the things that give you angst and anxiety in your life. Those are the things that you're inviting in. Those are the burdens that you are bringing on yourself. And really just whatever it is that you stress over. It's that thing that you're thinking about right now. <laughs> Maybe it is a job, maybe it's something else. But those things that we stress about, those are burdens. Those are the things that we bring upon ourselves. Heavy laden are the burdens that other people put on us. And sometimes you can immediately think and go, I got some people in my life that they're contributing a burden or two. Like, it's those things that could be jobs again, but it could be family, man. Like, sometimes our families, like, we, we carry burdens, and sometimes those burdens are not naturally bad. Like we got a family member and go, man, I know they're hurting and we feel empathy towards that and we feel love towards that person and it kind of becomes a weight that we begin to carry. And then there's other times, maybe family's making decisions and you go, I know that's not the right decision. And I wish I, wish I could speak into your life. I wish I could get you to see this side of the coin. I, guess, I, guess, I just want you to see it from a gospel standpoint and we start to carry those burdens around. And sometimes, let me tell you this, some of those are not your burdens to carry. Sometimes people need to hear that, especially when it comes to family. Sometimes we bring on things and go, hey, look, it's really out of your control. You really need to hope that that family member, that kid, that parent, that sibling, whatever it is, can rest in God because you can't fix it because you're not God. And we get into society and there's different stresses that society puts on us. There's different expectations that get put on us. We've had expectations our entire life. Expectations aren't naturally bad, but there's times where sometimes you maybe haven't reached a certain milestone and you feel that. You feel like society's kind of put that burden on you. Of, hey, 
man, it's late in your senior year. You haven't figured out where you're going to go to school or what you're going to do. And so you kind of put that burden on yourself. You, you're getting further on in school, and it's like, man, I don't know where this job is going to come from after I get done with this. Oh, I'm hitting this point in time where I'm tell, everybody's telling me, hey, why, what's wrong? Why aren't you married? What's wrong with you? You get to another point, hey, why don't you have kids yet? Why don't you have this many kids? Like we pull all of these burdens that we feel like come from society on us, and Jesus is going, I can help you with that. Like, I can lift that burden off of you. He says, take my yoke. Now, this is more of an ag-related term, and yeah, your pastor's an Aggie, so I know what a yoke is, but maybe if you're like, what is that talking about? This was, this was a device that was put on a beast of burden on an animal so that they could pull things, or maybe a cart, a plow, some sort of device, and it went around its neck and head area. And when Jesus spoke this, everybody just naturally knew what it was. And they knew that, man, some of those are heavy. You get some really big animals, you don't just put like a two-by-four on them, they'll break it. They put these big, heavy wooden apparatus on them. And Jesus goes, that's not what my yoke looks like. He says, my yoke is easy. My yoke is light. My yoke is meant to guide you. We place the yoke of Jesus Christ on us, not so that we can just think about the reward. Oh, I get heaven. That's great. But we take that yoke upon us so that it guides us in our life. And not just to get the reward. And his is light compared to others. So there's a couple things. One, it's light. Two, his yoke is easy if you don't rebel. You ever seen like a rebellious animal on a leash? (laughs) Or, I'm not trying to make fun of it, but those little braces you can put on kids. Like, I have never put my kid on a leash, but y'all know what I'm talking about, where they go running and just pull them back. Like, you watch something, you watch an animal like a dog rebel against its leash, and if it's not huge, it just gets choked back. Like, if we don't rebel against him, if we don't push back against the life that Christ has put on us, it's pretty easy. It's pretty light. The other thing is, his yoke doesn't include the burdens that we try and add to it. His yoke is just as pure as can be. And because it's pure, it's light, the worst thing you can do is then try and bring all those burdens back on your life because Jesus is going, I didn't put that there. It's like you go to a gym, you do something like bench press. A bench press bar is 45 pounds. Just about anybody can lift that once you get to a certain size. It's really not that heavy. But you start adding burdens onto it, and you slap some plates on there, and it gets heavy quickly. And so many times, man, we, we accept Christ and we walk with him, but then we still try and pull all these burdens back, and he's going, that's not a part of my yoke. Because when we don't add it, it says, hey, you're going to find rest for your soul. As we talk about rest, the greatest rest that any human can ever experience is rest for their soul. Because if you have unrest in that area, it, it shatters life. Like, if you walk in here, you're watching online, you're going, man, I just don't know where I'm at with the God of the cosmos. That's unsettling and unnerving. Those times where you just question, do I really know you? Do I really walk with you? You've tried doing life on your own forever. It's just not working out. This is the greatest rest that a human being can experience. Because when you know Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior. When you can make the profession that Jody made this morning, Jesus Christ is Lord, 
man, there is this sweet, warm blanket over your soul because you have found soul rest. And so if you're in here this morning and you're going, that's where it starts. Spiritually, I have an, <laughs> I'm, I'm in spiritual unrest because I just don't know Jesus Christ. Know this. Jesus offers this rest because he is the Son of God. He came to this earth. He lived a sinless life knowing that he would lay it down for sinful people, that people that rebelled against him. And when we do that, and we have all done that, everyone is sin. I don't think anybody really argues about that now. We just don't think about the consequence of it. That sin separates us from God. On one side, you have a perfect holy God, and that sin just doesn't match. It rails against him. And if the story ended there, God would still be glorified. But in love and mercy, he sent his son, Jesus Christ, who laid his life down so that we could have forgiveness. His blood paid the price for our sin. And when we can make the proclamation that Jesus Christ is Lord, you will find soul rest. And so if you're in here this morning, you're going, that's, that's where it needs to start with me. Physically, I'm tired. Yes, mentally, yes, I'm tired. But spiritually, I am empty. It's just saying, I want to follow Jesus Christ. And in that minute, you get to experience the yoke is easy and the burden is light because he's carrying the weight. You're not having to carry the weight of your sin anymore. He's the one doing the heavy lifting. Back in the day, whenever they would train these animals with a yoke, they would usually take a bigger, stronger animal, and they would hook it up to the younger, inexperienced one. Because what the older, more mature one did is they just dragged the other one along. And after a while, the other one kind of learned, this is what I do because I don't have an option. The other one carried most of the weight. And this is what Jesus does. Like his yoke, he's the one carrying most of it because he's the one who laid down his life for us. And so this morning, this is, the, this is the beginning, middle, and end of rest. This is the rest of all rest. When we start a relationship with Christ, it gives us spiritual rest. When we walk in that, it gives us daily rest. When we end that, it gives us eternal rest. And so this is the greatest rest that any of us can ever find. In the midst of a crazy, weird year, finding rest in Christ is the first stop. The next one is this. We find it in his word. Look in Hebrews chapter 4. In Hebrews chapter 4, the author writes this. He says, in verse 11, Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. If you want to find rest, find rest in God's word. It's it's his gift to us. For thousands of years, one of the binding things from a group of Hebrews sitting out in fields watching over flocks to a group of disciples going out and sharing the gospel to the Middle Ages of people living in monasteries to 2020 where we read Bibles on a phone, this brings us together. The Bible looks into us and it sees where we're struggling it sees where we go man i am tired and with like surgical precision it can identify that if we will pour ourselves into it the bible calls itself living and active it keeps us from sin there's times where we read scripture and it fills us up and we go i find greater joy in following god than following the world so scripture keeps us from sin it's our counselor as we read through and 
man, the Holy Spirit just starts to speak to us through Scripture. It's our strength. empowers us for the day. gives us peace. And it gives us rest and it refuels us. Like, I know when I'm spiritually tired, this is the first thing that I've probably neglected and that I need to run to. And as I begin to read, man, it is like putting gas in the car. I love the Word of God because it finds out where I need to be spoken to. It says it's sharper than any two-edged sword. And so I'm not going to read that and not show up with a sword. It's a good day in church when you get to have a sword. So you probably, if you notice, we had some guys that were actually walking around with them today. Don't be alarmed. Um, I guess we're open carrying that way, but we're not, like, you didn't, this is not the Renaissance Festival, so, like, don't, don't freak out too much. But um, we had kind of a men's ministry that we started and had an induction ceremony last night, and looking forward to bringing more guys into that. But when, when, when the author of Hebrews wrote that, we have guys that have lots of different swords, and Nico and Ryan are winning the bought the biggest sword contest. Y'all forgot we're the short guys. You don't need that. But when they wrote it, this is what was in mind. Um, this is called a Roman gladius. And it's the sword that's referred to here. Um, Roman soldiers carried it. Hebrews stole them and used them against the Romans. Uh, there was one time they had a revolt, and they were like, how do we get weapons from these people? And so Romans had a really high standard on their manufacturing, and so the Jewish bladesmiths would make like, oh, this one has a defective, and they'd throw it away. And then they started a revolt, and the Roman army showed up, and they were like, how do these people have all of our swords? But this is what it was. It's a two-edged sword. When he talks about sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, this is sharp on both sides. In fact, I'm going to put it back up in a minute because it is pretty sharp, we found. And so, man, it can cut through all the different things. When you start letting the Word of God read you, okay, so you have issues in your life, it will begin to expose those. Oh, but what if it's really, really deep? It has a sharp pointy end as well. <laughs> and it talks about, man, piercing down to bone and marrow. God's Word is active. In fact, in Ephesians, it talks about this is the only offensive weapon we have. When we put on the full armor of God, we're in defense mode, but this is the offensive thing. And this is what God's word is. This is how we speak into people's lives. It's not a hammer. It's a sword. You let it pierce. You let the word of God be the word of God. Amen. And if someone just randomly tuned in right now, welcome to South Point. <laughs> So we let God's word refuel us. When we're tired, we let it speak into us. And the last one we'll look at today is this. We find rest in doing good. In Galatians chapter 6. In Galatians chapter 6 and verse 9, it says this. And let us not grow weary of doing good. For in due season, we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have the opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially those who are of the household of faith. Good works give us rest, and they refuel us. If we push through at times, man, we're reaching out, and we're serving, and we're loving, and we're evangelizing, we're doing all those things. Yeah, sometimes we feel like, man, that makes me a little bit tired. But man, does it fill me up spiritually. 
Man, does it encourage me. Man, is it amazing to look out when we do pantry and to see all these faces and hear these stories and be able to bless people in doing good. Man, is it amazing to sit down and share the gospel with somebody and just watch a person go from death to life. Man, you talk about getting excited. It fills me up. Serving and loving and doing things for God's glory, man, it refuels us. And so if we're tired, man, find a way to serve and do good works. Because he says, hey, if you sow into that, again, another ag term, but like, hey, if you're pouring into that, man, if you're pouring into a person, you're pouring into a ministry, you're loving on things, you're doing things in the church, he says, hey, you're going to find a reward in that. As you sow, we are going to be able to reap. And God's glory just goes up and up and up. And so we do these things. We serve. So many of you can share a story of, hey, I serve in this area, I help out in this, and I've got to know people, and man, it's like family, and it's not even a job. I talked to a guy years ago, he was one of my volunteers, super, super successful. I knew that he worked a lot during the week, and then he would come and serve in the church, and I was like, man, thank you for just pouring even more time into this. He's like, what are you talking about? This isn't even anything like a job. He said, I love this. I'll do this forever. And when we serve and we get involved in those areas, one, when you start to see the reward and you get to see what God is doing in people's lives, man, it fills you up. We go from tired to refueled and saying, hey, I want to do that more. So we do good works. We evangelize. This is one of those areas we talk about, hey, it's one of our, it's one of our visions. It's one of our commitments. We want to be committed to the uncommitted. There's a lot of people out there who do not know Jesus Christ as their Savior. They have never experienced the love and mercy and grace that can be poured out on them. That's an area I want people to know that. Because when we do that, we get out and you sit down, you start sharing the gospel, a couple things happen. One, you become encouraged no matter what happens. There's never been a time that I've shared the gospel with somebody that I walked away and went, man, I wish I hadn't done that. (laughs) Never. I've sat down with people and by the end of the conversation, they didn't move one inch closer to God that I could tell. And I still walked away going, I got to share the story of Jesus Christ. Man, it makes me happy. And then there's those times where you sit down and you start talking with someone and they go, I need that. And you go, man, this is awesome. I don't know if I've ever been more full than sitting and sharing the gospel with people. It's unbelievable rest. And then we just need to learn to rest well. You've got to sometimes fight for rest. <laughs> sometimes you have to evaluate things and say, hey, I'm going to make a commitment to resting. That's why tomorrow morning, about 8 o'clock, our staff and leadership, we're loading up, we're heading to a ranch for a day and a night. It's like, man, you just need you to know, your staff and leadership, man, they work really hard. They do an amazing job, and I love them. And it's like, you know what? Let's get away for the day. Let's go rest. Let's have some really, really, really good fajitas tomorrow at Joe T. Garcia's. Plug for them. If you're ever in the Metroplex, go there. It's like, y'all need rest, and we're going to rest well together. And there's times where you just have to look at your life and go, where do I find that? Where do I make time for that? And not just so I can rest and have leisure and vacation, but where do I find rest, and where do I find rest in him? Let's pray. God, we love you. God, this morning, if there's anyone in the room, if there's anyone watching online, God, I pray, pray, pray that they would know what it looks like to have soul rest in you. 
And so you're, if you're here today and you're going, I, I have never had a personal relationship with Jesus. I have never I've made it about me. I've never wanted to say that Jesus Christ is Lord, but I want to do that now. It's simply saying, God, as best as I know how, I want to come to you. I want to turn from my life, and I want to make Jesus Christ the Lord of my life. If that's you, man, we want to celebrate that. I would encourage you to put that on a Connect card. Talk to one of our staff or anybody. We want to celebrate that. And for many of us, I pray that this week would be a week of rest, but not just in leisure, but looking to you. That we'd pour into your word and it would fill us up. That we'd pour into the ministries that you've blessed us with and it would fill us up. And then we'd use that fuel to further your kingdom. We ask all of this in Christ's name. Amen.